0: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for this invitation. It's really a pleasure to, to be here today and to have a, a, a chance to, to share some some views on the, the intervention in Libya. Um, I, I have had uh, a, a, a career both in government and outside government, and, uh, and some of the lessons I will try to draw today uh, come from that sort of uh, uh, a mixed experience of, uh, of, uh, of serving in government, with operations, uh, EU operations, NATO operations, and, but also from my uh, recent involvement in more European security affairs. Uh, I was uh, last year especially uh, an advisor to the uh, group on, uh, um, a group of experts on the NATO strategic concept uh, chaired by Madeline Albright, and uh, so s- some of this will be reflected in, the, in this presentation. Uh, obviously, it's very early to uh, draw lessons from Libya, uh, the, the operation has only begun a couple of months ago, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, the final outcome of the operation remains pretty unpredictable. So it's it would be uh, uh, somehow uh, uh, difficult to say. Well, uh, uh, it's uh, it's uh, such a, a tremendous success that we can draw uh, fantastic lessons, or, or it's a, such a dramatic failure that it's. Uh, 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 the, so my my look at it will be more to say. At this stage, what does it tell us about military capabilities uh, in Europe, about the uh, transatlantic relations, uh, and about uh, the Europeans and the EU in that context? Um, doing that, the, my, my first one would, would probably be to emphasise the fact that there are some unique features that are associated with the Libyan operation that we should, we should keep in mind when, when discussing that. The first one is that the operation was decided in the context of what was perceived humanitarian emergency. Uh, uh, When the decision was taken to start the air campaign and to to first to get the the, uh, UN Security Council resolution adopted and then to start the air campaign, there was this sense that has been maybe a bit lost since because obviously some of the uh, uh, civilian casualties have not stopped. uh, But to prevent... A a massacre in Benghazi, and to um, uh, limit further civilian casualties. That was the core purpose of the the, the resolution, and that was the main, let's say, political driver. I believe behind the operation uh, when it started. Um, This uh, and and there, there is uh, something that we might probably discuss in the. Uh, uh, Q&A is how this was connected uh, to the responsibility to protect, and this R2P dimension is is, is interesting, especially since it, it got a bit lost uh, as the the the, the uh, operation evolved. So so um, I mean this uh, uh, justification for for going uh, to the use of force uh, uh, was was then. I'm I'm somehow wondering, and I leave that open for the moment whether. Uh, it's a good case for R2P, uh, uh, it's a, whether it's a good case study or not, but i, I I'd probably lean towards the, later, the latter uh, in, 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 uh, in thinking that. All of this might also explain a, a certain sense of unpreparedness. Uh, uh, having discussed and interviewed some of the military uh, planners uh, uh, for the operation, they emphasized the point that everything was pretty much planned in a rush. Uh, uh, meaning that uh, they had a limited time to plan for the operation, that the standard uh, practice which would have been to use a a dedicated um, um, headquarters to that did not uh, uh, take place and uh, somehow it was a sort of emergency contingency planning uh, uh, with very limited time to do that uh, with a lot of unknowns for the military planner as they were planning. Um, They didn't know what would be the exact uh, scope of the resolution mandate? Uh, as you remember, this all started with a no fly zone debate and, and ended up with something a bit broader. So, uh, the, obviously, the planning, military planning, uh, 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 changed as, as the resolution mandate became uh, uh, more known. Secondly, uh, the number of participants and the nature of the coalition uh, uh, were. Uh, n- no, known either when the, the planning started. Uh, it wasn't clear whether it was going to be a, a NATO operation, an EU operation, a, an ad hoc coalition, uh, sort of coalition of the willing operation. And uh, uh, this was obviously... Uh, 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 and, and who would take part in the operation? Um, uh, again, as you remember, the, at the outstart of the operation, there was a, a big idea on the part of the, the French, and the Brits in particular, that this, this should involve a significant Arab input, which uh, um, uh, turned out to be extremely limited. Uh, so it, 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 it's uh, uh, very much a Western operation uh, uh, at this stage. And finally, and I'll come back to that in details, uh, the U.S. contribution itself uh, was uh, 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 Known only at the very late, late at the latest stage of the planning process, uh, as the US was pretty reluctant to get involved. I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, so on the US involvement, the second second uh, unique feature, uh, it's it's quite clear that the US involvement was decided pretty late in the process. Uh, what I mean by that uh, is that uh, uh, there was a very important debate in Washington that we're all familiar with, uh, uh, with the the fact that for different reasons there were serious doubts raised in Washington on on the feasibility, uh, the opportunity of of launching a military operation both for a set of political reasons, yet another war in in an Arab state, uh, uh, in a Muslim state which uh, obviously played a role in the reluctance of the Obama administration to get involved in this one. Uh, and secondly, uh, a sense of military overstretch, which was very clear in the Pentagon, uh, where uh, Secretary Gates uh, made clear that uh, from the outstart, the, uh, the, in mean, the very first days of the crisis, that uh, it was a task for the Europeans, uh, and that uh, basically the, the uh, U.S. Uh, military uh, had uh, uh, very uh, little capabilities to offer, to, uh, and was itself uh, focused on Afghanistan and didn't want to be to lose its focus uh, uh, um, by uh, getting involved in Libya in a significant fashion. Uh, ultimately. My reading of the, the internal debate, of course we will have to wait for the next Woodward book to get the insights of that, uh, but uh, uh, was that uh, um, uh, both Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama sort of uh, dis- made the decision to move forward under the pressure of the French and British allies, uh, both for um, purely military reasons. There were some capabilities uh, that would only the U.S. could provide, so the, the operation would have been far more difficult without a a, a US involvement and secondly um, a sense that uh, in the context of the Arab Spring uh, it was a sort of opportunity to demonstrate that the West was siding with the Right, guys, to, uh, to, to put it uh, uh, in, in, in simple terms, and that uh, uh, somehow it could not be accepted to see uh, uh, the uh, to see the, uh, the sort of massacre of, uh, of uh, uh, an armed civilian take place without uh, um, acting. Uh, one interesting uh, um, element of this is, I think, a lot of this has to do with not so much the memories of Afghanistan or Iraq, but a lot to do with the Balkans. And it's not, uh, I think it's worth noticing that some of the people that were involved in the policy discussions in the planning of this, um, uh, uh, I'm thinking on the French side, but uh, probably also in in London and and Washington, were people that had the um, uh, personal, political, institutional memory of the Balkans, uh, and the, that I think it, it gives a sense, you know, for me, uh, the, the, an interesting comparison is the, the decisions of the summer of '95 uh, uh, about Bosnia, when when the, the French and the Brits established uh, the, the Rapid Reaction Force and and uh, decided to sort of move out the, the strictly blue elements into, into uh, uh, peacekeeping forces into something more, that and, and pushing the Americans into a nato led operation uh, i think we have we have uh, uh, pretty much uh, an interesting parallel to be drawn there uh, a second thing about the us involvement and again fairly unique is uh, uh, the fact that the us military commitment uh, ended up being fairly limited uh, uh, I'll, I'll go into a few more details in a minute but and, and the choice, which was very much t- pushed by the British government to use uh, NATO um, uh, command uh, uh, assets, uh, which was a way to uh, make the point that um, uh, using NATO secured secure the U.S. involvement, uh, proved somehow wrong in the sense that it didn't secure that U.S. involvement. And in fact, the U.S. involvement was much more significant in the non-NATO phase Uh, of the operation than in the NATO phase and that uh, once NATO was in charge uh, the the, uh, U.S. contribution to the campaign uh, uh, declined, uh, although it stayed uh, uh, um, it remained uh, quite important in in, in pure military capability terms Finally, a third third feature uh, for this introduction that I would highlight is the fact that the West was divided uh, in its efforts to resolve the Libyan crisis over a wide spectrum of positions. Uh, Berlin abstaining in the UN Security Council and opposing quite uh, publicly the use of force uh, as an option that was not a a reasonable one. Uh, Paris and London taking the lead in the military campaign and and pulling some other countries like Italy uh, in in that direction and and Washington engaging, as as I said, reluctantly uh, before uh, uh, withdrawing most, most of its forces, so we have a fairly wide spectrum that that contrasts very much with, with the let 's say the situation in Afghanistan uh, uh, where at least in, in theory uh, the, the western alliance NATO is very much uh, uh, united behind a, a common goal in spite of the huge differences in terms of of uh, military input into the, the campaign so for that i 'm not sure I would Pull the comparison too far, but there is a, a sort of a, a, a new divide, a bit like the Iraq divide, uh, between the, those who intervene and those who don't, and amongst those who don't, those who oppose uh, uh, the, the, the idea of an intervention and, and criticize it. And that, in spite of efforts on the part of diplomats to iron some of these differences, Uh, they they still remain Um, in in, in informal discussions with uh, German officials. They still question whether the use of force was a wise choice, uh, um, and even those who are a bit critical about uh, uh, the German vote in the UN Security Council, they they still make the point that the the air campaign will not solve anything, which is, uh, after all, a point that is worth making, and, but obviously, because of the time constraints I was mentioning, was not discussed thoroughly before the operation started. So they, you know, they, and and they were, there was no clear alternative uh, 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 offered by those who, who were reluctant to use force to that. So to come to the more military part of of, uh, of the lessons i would i would uh, put the emphasis on on one element which is the which are the limits of uh, european military capabilities uh, that were very severely highlighted from my perspective uh, uh, during this campaign uh, all in all it is a very limited air campaign um, the it averaged two hundred air sorties a day which is a fairly small amount of of, of flights, uh, and amongst those, the number of offensive sorties, th- those those uh, uh, who strike, uh, uh, are currently to about sixty and never peaked far far above a hundred uh, 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 a day. Uh, if you want, uh, and uh, and this is after the Amer- the withdrawal of American. Offensive capa- most of the American offensive capabilities. So, in, if you compare to that with another air interdiction air uh, uh, strike campaign, which is Kosovo, Kosovo for the, uh, over a period of three months averaged seven hundred to one thousand sorties a day, uh, including three hundred strikes a day. So, if you, uh, 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 we have uh, something which is very much uh, about one-fifth of of Kosovo in terms of of, uh, uh, the air power engaged in the operation and the number of of strikes performed. So it's a very limited campaign from a military perspective. And in spite of that, um, the the Europeans have have been having a very hard time to perform the mission. Uh, obviously, uh, France and Britain, so the, the, the national operation being Operation Armatant for the French and Operation enemy for the, the Brits, uh, alone provide about two-thirds of the capabilities engaged um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and most of the offensive uh, uh, missions. Uh, not only uh, uh, that, but uh, the uh, uh, U.S. assets... Uh, are critical to making this mission possible. Uh, uh, Without the U.S. support, in spite of what I was saying in terms of withdrawing of offensive capabilities, the U.S. support is critical in several fields. Uh, You have uh, 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 air-to-air refueling. Um, uh, The the, uh, the European capabilities would not allow, uh, 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 on their own, the mission to go on. Uh, at, its, at its current pace, limited pace, uh, uh, in absence of uh, uh, US uh, tankers uh, available, uh, air tankers available. You have the same problem uh, with the, uh, ISR, that is Intelligence, Surveillance and Reconnaissance, where uh, US capabilities are uh, critically needed for NATO to be able to perform the mission. And uh, there was a, a, a request uh, to the U.S. to provide the long-range uh, UAVs, uh, 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 so the drones for the mission, which again the Europeans didn't have uh, available for that. So, so there were significant military shortcomings, and uh, uh, and many. Uh, 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 Europeans, uh, uh, even those who contribute to the mission, so the, uh, are only provided, have only provided very, very limited capabilities—a uh, handful of planes—and many of them already feel a bit overstretched with that. So, so, it's something that is, I think, very telling about the status of, of uh, European military assets at the moment. Uh, and I think it's it's interesting, and it, it makes the point uh, and, 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 and you know connects to the concern expressed by Secretary Gates in 2010 about what he calls the demilitar- demilitarization of Europe. Uh, 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 from a capability perspective, it, I think it is quite clear. Uh, 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 so ultimately, in this context, uh, NATO appears pretty much as a shallow military alliance uh, and its uh, you know, alleged overwhelming conventional superiority ends up being an American conventional superiority. It's not a NATO. So NATO, without the Americans or with a limited American involvement, uh, doesn't have that sort of overwhelming conventional capability that, that uh, mm-hmm. uh, enables uh, uh, the... Um, uh, European side of NATO, even with the support of the, of, uh, of Canada, uh, to to uh, <laughs> uh, uh, run a, a a very limited air campaign again. So uh, there are, uh, and and the fact that many in Europe are making the point after a couple of months that. Uh, uh, maybe this has gone on for too long, and maybe we've spent too much money on this. And uh, do we have the ammunition necessary to continue, and things like that? And I'm, for the moment, completely putting aside the, the political dimension of this debate, uh, uh, are uh, sort of making that point. Uh, so it's, uh, I think it's, it's a very, very important um, uh, a point to to have in mind. Uh, uh, which is that altogether uh, when there is this uh, uh, even a NATO operation uh, 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 short of a significant American involvement only France and Britain are in a position to commit uh, significant uh, military contributions and even those military contributions uh, we have a sense of of overstretched in in Paris or London uh, on that. And and, uh, that's not uh, um, much to say about uh, where the others stand in this. So that has implications, as that will be my second point on the, the transatlantic partnership and NATO. I would, I would suggest. Um, in 2010, when the NATO strategic concept was adopted, uh, it was seen by many as a sort of. A Renewal of uh, wars, as as Malin Albright put it, uh, you know the, the alliance getting uh, together after sixty years and 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 and, and uh, sort of uh, uh, making the point that we were all uh, uh, very much committed to this transatlantic uh, uh, dimension. But I, I believe that one year after, not even one year after, the alliance appears in fairly poor shape um, politically. As I was saying, Europe was divided um, uh, between the. Th- depending on where you sit, uh, you know, interventionist hoax and, and peace-minded doves, uh, 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 and it's, uh, it's not a good sign. Uh, it did struggle to gather a rather conditional and limited U.S. support for an operation in, in its backyard, um, and um, many of those who advocated the fact that NATO should be in charge uh, uh, within the alliance amongst the 28 allies In fact, once NATO was in charge, they just saw that as a a way to get political oversight over the operation, but didn't commit any force uh, if they had any, uh, since many countries just don't have an air force for that kind of mission uh, within the alliance. So that leaves us uh, with a NATO that is more and more a sort of virtual alliance, which politically lacks a united view of strategic affairs. And, mili- and, and lacks militarily uh, the capabilities to shape events if the US is not in the driver's seat. So I think it's it's uh, interesting in the, in the sort of post-Lisbon context where supposedly uh, NATO was uh, given a fresh start uh, to see uh, that in, in in this Libyan context uh, the situation. Uh, if we were to do a, a genuine post-crisis assessment, I think that there are several issues that would need to be tackled in the transatlantic context. Uh, I think first and foremost, and I'll come back to that in a second for the Europeans especially, uh, they really need to think seriously about security challenges and defense and where do they stand in that debate. Are they ready to make the sort of minimal budgetary effort in order to not to completely vanish from the security landscape? Uh, uh, or uh, are they, uh, uh, have they entirely subcontracted uh, defense and security matters to the Americans, uh, even if though the, the, the US is uh, less and less interested in European security. Uh, so we are in a situation, uh, um, and again, I, I'm, I wouldn't at this stage uh, uh, tell if, if uh, going into Libya was the best option and the use of force was the best option, but I I tend to believe that one point is clear, is that if the downfall of European military budgets and and military readiness to use force continues, the use of force will just no longer be an option. Uh, uh, So uh, the the sort of spectrum of option will uh, very, very rapidly diminish. On the U.S. side of the transatlantic debate, I think the United States has not yet made clear what it did expect from its European allies, and I think this is a problem. Uh, what are their expectations in the security realm in particular? Um, is the, the, uh, their military role to sort of contribute in a modest fashion to US-led operation in Afghanistan uh, uh, in, and be a sort of 2nd rank? or third rank or fourth rank contributor to, to such operations, uh, being uh, you know offering some of the food soldiers for U.S. led operations, uh, or uh, is the European role to manage some of the security environments and, and especially sort of take over responsibility in what one cons- can consider its backyard, uh, um, the Mediterranean uh, and so on. So. And the message from Washington on this has been unclear, and and some of the hesitation that was perceived in Libya uh, 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 is, I think, quite telling uh, for for that, because uh, uh, somehow the Americans both wanted to be seen as taking the lead. You might remember President Obama's speech in the first days of the crisis where he forgot to mention his European allies um, uh, uh, as a, uh, as a, uh, because he was making a domestic point for, for his uh, Republican opposition saying we still lead, don't worry, uh, uh, while at the same time um, uh, having uh, Secretary Gates calling for the Europeans to take their responsibility and take the lead on this operation. So it's, uh, they, they, I don't think they've quite made up their mind on that yet. So, ultimately, uh, the Europeans do have to to clarify how they perceive themselves. I mean, are they a security provider and a strategic player, or uh, are they more and more, and that's my perception, increasingly uh, back to a security consumer situation and a sort of free rider relying on the idea uh, that America will be there if things go wrong, uh, and why should we spend any uh, money or, uh, uh, or take any uh, uh, strategic risks uh, uh, by intervening. Obviously and, and this is my last point the, uh, uh, that I'll, I'll expand to that, on that in a minute, the, the Europeans are quite divided on, on this view themselves uh, but uh, uh, part of it being the fact that uh, uh, Washington hasn't uh, 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 sent yet some clear signals about that. I think we better think through that in advance because in the current budgetary context in the US um, it is likely that the burden-sharing debate will uh, start again. Uh, 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 I don't see how a US Congress will accept indefinitely when uh, there are cuts in the budget to pay for European security while the Europeans continue to uh, downsize their military budgets and military capabilities. Uh, There's going to be an increasing pressure on the US side Uh, and uh, we better think about it on this side of the Atlantic. So finally, what are the lessons for Europe, uh, both CFSP and CSDP uh, 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 in that context? Obviously the EU as such did not perform much better than NATO and probably did worse from my perspective. Uh, and I see the events related to the Libyan crisis as a series of missed opportunity. Uh, There was a a complete lack of political leadership at all stages of the crisis coming from the EU institutions. We did not uh, take the lead in trying to bring together the Europeans in a unified position, uh, which did not offer a sort of alternative uh, option to uh, the, the, the sort of use of force that the French and the Brits were, were advocating uh, uh, did not uh, um, uh, uh, offer a, a, even a, a sort of complementary approach, uh, uh, which would have been more political uh, and would, would have sort of uh, come into play. Uh, uh, we haven't seen uh, the European, the EU leaders uh, on, on the, the stage on this Libyan thing. Uh, There was not even an early reaction in the first days of the Libyan crisis. Uh, For instance, uh, 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 one uh, criticism I I do uh, very strongly about this is that I believe Europe should have, uh, and that was really a core Petersburg task, uh, immediately set up an operation to evacuate its own citizens. I mean, the Chinese evacuated their citizens, but the EU, which is not that far away, was not able to put itself uh, to, uh, to put its, its act together to do a joint operation. Uh, it ended up being a, a series of national operations, uh, which, of course, made sense. There are more Italians than Danes in in, in Libya, but one could have imagined an evacuation operation under Italian, uh, an EU evacuation operation. Uh, under the Petersburg task, under Italian lead, that would have made perfect sense, that was not just not even in the cards, um, I understand. Uh, so I, I find it quite, quite uh, 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 problematic. Of course, there was a complete lack of unity throughout the crisis. We didn't manage to have a, a, a serious talks uh, and, and, to, uh, and to do that. I'm not blaming it only on those who disagreed with the, the, the French and the Brits, I blame it also on the French and the Brits, which at a certain point sort of, sort of focused their efforts in securing a UNSC resolution and not necessarily uh, making sure they had the support of um, uh, 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 European partners in this operation. And the various EU summits were were uh, f- throughout this uh, Libyan crisis were, were quite telling in the sense that uh, uh, the German felt bullied, uh, 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 but and didn't, uh, but didn't offer an alternative path either. Uh, you know, they they, they sort of complain without offering an alternative path. Uh, ultimately, took this very strange decision of voting. Uh, and, uh, of having a different vote pattern than, than the rest uh, uh, of the West, if I may put it this way. Uh, this came as quite a shock in the Osbertic by the way, so uh, it's going to be interesting. I'll come back to that in my final uh, questions. Uh, some of the uh, other Europeans just uh, hide, did, did hide behind uh, um, uh, the, the Germans and uh, most of the Central and Eastern Europeans were quite happy to not to, to see the Germans uh, uh, somehow uh, taking the blame for the division of uh, EU and, and NATO, uh, but they did, surely did not commit any planes or troops uh, or effort to this operation uh, and were quite happy to not be been asked to do so. So, so we, we have this uh, very divided Europe uh, which makes things worse. So that leads me to my, as a final remark, a uh, few uh, questions for the future about Europe. The first issue, and I come back to the capability issue, is Europe and the EU altogether capable of managing even a limited military operation in its backyard? Uh, the short answer is hardly. Uh, and I think we have to, to uh, think about that because I think we are. I mean, if we compare that to the Helsinki Headline Goals, uh, to uh, I mean, all the capability discourse of the EU in the last 10-12 uh, years, we are falling very much short of the, uh, uh, on this and, and the, the loopholes in European capabilities have been demonstrated not only on paper in a European Defense Agency report, but in practice uh, in running uh, this operation. Uh, the budgetary implications and the effect of the uh, global financial crisis have been only increasing a, a, this tendency, uh, and uh, uh, the, 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 I think the path is likely to continue. Um, you're, most of you are obviously familiar with the numbers, but I think it's quite telling to say that uh, the EU has, about, uh, has a GDP that is uh, uh, about 140 uh, percent of the US GDP uh, and has a defence spending which is about 37 percent of the US spending. Uh, so, so that's uh, that's uh, the, this discrepancy is quite telling. Uh, and, and just to to avoid a question on that, I'm not advocating that we should spend as much as the US. Obviously, the US overspends on defence and, uh, and and has security commitments that are by definition much broader than the European ones. But I think. The uh, uh, previous ratio, uh, which was about 60 two-thirds uh, 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 of U.S. defense spending, was probably a bit more sustainable uh, uh, in the long term uh, to, to, to to do uh, to do this, uh, which was the case, let's say, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, 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 and uh, w- this sort of discrepancy was more more uh, acceptable both in terms of burden sharing and in terms of what it meant for the capabilities of both sides. Secondly, second uh, tough question, uh, do the Europeans share a more or less common assessment of the security environment and a common desire to be involved in crisis management? Uh, For me, this is unclear. Uh, uh, Within NATO, uh, we just don't have a a common assessment of the security environment. It's one thing I, I believe that the strategic concept has pretty much missed, uh, and there is, if you look at in the, the documents, there is a big difference between the Albright report and the strategic concept itself. Uh, uh, in the NATO uh, uh, process, uh, there is no assessment of the strategic environment, and when uh, I did ask two very senior NATO officials about that, saying uh, it's, a, it's a pity we, we, we didn't, you know, we do a strategic concept once every ten years, we could probably have. Uh, uh, for for a couple of uh, weeks to to try to find this common assessment? And the answer was, of course not, because we disagree, Uh, which uh, I I, uh, I, I find quite telling about where the alliance is. And I believe it's the same within the EU, uh, because it's not necessarily a transatlantic divide. And for that, uh, I would, as a sort of policy recommendation, have been urging to review the European security strategy, uh, which was, as you know, uh, issued in 2003 and and, uh, uh, vaguely um, um, uh, reviewed in 2008. Uh, Somehow we really need to think through what the Arab Spring means for our security, where does the EU stand in the Asian security landscape, how do we tackle these issues, because uh, otherwise we might face more Libyans and more divisions uh, and uh, haven't not thought through how we would approach that. Um, thirdly, one of the questions raised by Libya is is there a, a, is an area of responsibility for the Europeans? Um, you know and this connects with the US approach on the division of labor. And this connects to also what perception we have of a a strategic role for the EU. Uh, And there, I'm not talking only in the military sense, but also in the uh, diplomatic involvement in managing crisis. So in saying, is there a source, what could be named a a European backyard, where the Europeans are more or less in charge, Uh, uh, that is, the, the continent... Itself, uh, so in including the Balkans uh, and some of the or near abroad, to use a, 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 a Russian uh, uh, concept. Uh, so whether it's the Mediterranean, uh, the Caucasus, uh, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, how do we have special responsibilities there? If you look at the past of uh, ESDP, CSDP, there is a clear message. Most of uh, ESDP operations have taken place in Africa from the Horn of Africa to Central Africa to, uh, uh, to Western Africa uh, so, uh, and in the Balkans. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a message. Uh, the, one of the successes of the CFSP has been the involvement in Georgia. Uh, so so it, it's a bit uh, uh, telling. So should we focus on that region and design the capabilities that go with that and design the policies that go with that I, I um, think it's worth discussing that amongst Europeans, and that connects with the debates on the European security strategy. Fourthly, uh, a, a, a question to which I have no answer, which is to ask whether the European divisions were more the exception or the rule. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, was the fact that the Europeans, and especially the three big Europeans, were divided, was this a very exceptional setting um, uh, based on uh, domestic uh, 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 political issues in, in the three countries uh, or uh, was it uh, something which is likely to become more normal with the reshuffling of cards where we see France and Britain siding together in the con- in the aftermath of the uh, uh, treaty uh, of uh, November uh, 2010, or uh, and, and Germany being more isolated, more focused on, on uh, non-hard uh, security challenges, and least and least interested in, in uh, crisis management and in deploying forces abroad. To put it uh, bluntly, uh, with regard to Germany, uh, my question would be: Are we? Uh, uh, does Libya signal the end? of a parenthesis in German foreign and security policy, which I would call, uh, as a matter of simplification, the Fisher moment uh, of, of a Germany ready to commit itself in Kosovo, even in the absence of a UN security mandate, of a Germany that is sending troops in Afghanistan, of a Germany that is uh, providing forces to CSDP mission, to a Germany that is a very an increasingly reluctant Uh, to use force um, for a variety of of domestic reasons and probably because of more broadly of a security perception that for the first time maybe in German history, uh, uh, Germany is no longer facing any security, uh, direct security challenges, being in the heart of Europe with only friendly neighboring countries having uh, resolved uh, uh, its... uh, 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 historical competition with all its uh, uh, past adversaries, whether it's France, Russia, uh, uh, Poland or whomever. And uh, if this is the case, what does it tell us about the future of the EU, given the normal and very important weight of Germany in the EU system? Uh, Do we see a a, a division between sort of interventionist part of the EU uh, by opposition to, to, to another part? And where do the others sit in that debate? And I think that it's very. Uh, we have to look very carefully into the so-called small countries in that debate. Uh, I think that they are very important. Uh, some of them, uh, and they don't come as a, as a group, um, uh, uh, some of them have been engaged uh, in the operations uh, in Libya and, and have also committed lots of forces in Afghanistan in the past, typically Denmark, Norway, the Netherlands. Uh, some of them are complete free riders. They, they don't spend anything on defense and they, you know, uh, if you look at the Austrian decision to just abandon the concept of an air force, it's it's a very, very uh, uh, easy choice to make when you're Austria, and, I mean, the uh, most hostile neighbor is Liechtenstein, uh, so uh, uh, you're, you're not completely in, in a system where, where uh, 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 you run any serious risks uh, for that. Um, the Eastern Europeans themselves are still in this process of uh, uh, wondering whether they are more focused on, which was very clear in the NATO debate, more focused on territorial defense, and, and somehow when you, you discuss or interview uh, senior officials uh, uh, in, in Eastern Europe, basically their commitment to NATO operations, to EU operations, is really a token to say, um, uh, when you ask, we were there, uh, so when we ask, you, will you be there? Uh, 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 type of, of relationship. But they, they don't really buy the argument about crisis management and, and, and expeditionary NATO or EU. They're not really interested in that uh, uh, beyond uh, the, 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 the very, very close. Uh, Reason, uh, region uh, uh, for them. Uh, fifth uh, and, and, and almost last question uh, that is connected to the previous one is the is the issue of whether some Europeans have become allergic to the use of force, which is, uh, I think, a big challenge. Uh, and I see that very much in the EU debate, um, as some of you, I go to Brussels quite often and discuss with the uh, 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 people in the EAS and uh, in the, the various European institutions, and I'm quite struck at the fact that they feel so post-Vestalian in a way. Uh, you know, they, they, they are truly convinced, which is a good news. That you know, so, sort of war has disappeared from their uh, landscape, which is true for the European continent for most of it, and that's a, a very good news. Uh, but somehow. Not necessarily true for the rest of the world. And uh, 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 this sense that because we have such a great model uh, uh, that is post conflict, post Westphalian order, and all, the, and, and, uh, all about uh, smart power and cooperation and, and make it short, uh, um, doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of the world will, will leave us in peace. And we might face those crises. And if we, uh, 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 you, you know, the fact that we, we, we are beyond the use of force. Uh, Doesn't necessarily mean that we will never be confronted with that. And somehow I I tend to believe that Libya should serve as a reminder that near Europe we might be faced with political challenge that that might uh, imply the use of force for that. And my last question, which is connected to this one, is that what kind of narrative do we really offer if we are not? Uh, uh, you know, if we, we take the view that uh, the the hard the, the security narrative is something of the past, uh, and I think the Europeans, and it's very clear in the context of the Arab Spring, have not come up with something, uh, some sort of alternative to that. Uh, 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 I wish the EU had come up with some sort of Marshall Plan uh, uh, with the new emerging democracies in the Arab world because it is not only about our values, but also about our interest. And I don't see that truly happening. Uh, so somehow uh, what strikes me is that we are in this sort of... Um, many Europeans not, no longer interested in, 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 in the use of force, but at the same time not necessarily developing a, a significant or, 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 or a, a, a truly attractive alternative to that. Uh, I've spoken for way too long, so I'm uh, really looking forward to your questions. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you so much.